0: Man, I am going to get used to this. I just got used to it. I'm I'm good. Man, it's good having you here, Brian. mm mm, Hmm. I am not going to have any problems. I'm going to tell you that right now. This is great. So good. This morning, we're going to talk about inheritance. And... uh, Inheritance is this uh, interesting thing. How many have ever received an inheritance out there? All right, some of us. Uh, It's an interesting dynamic. Um, I was talking to Pastor Sean this past week. He had a friend um, who became the executor for his dad's estate, the inheritance. And he says it was the worst form of punishment his father ever gave him. Caused all kinds of drama and conflict. Uh, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand who had a conflict and drama with their inheritance, because um, I would imagine a lot of us have seen it. 2006, James Brown, the father of soul, right, uh, passed away, had $100 million in his inheritance, and he gave it, divided it in half. He gave half of it, $50 million, to the education of his grandchildren which that must have been an expensive education, and then he gave the other half to help out poor and disadvantaged kids down in the South in two states. And he wrote this in, in his will for the inheritance, and he said, if he failed to provide for any relatives, such failure is intentional and not occasioned by accident or mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown's wife and children were not in that inheritance. They went on to sue three years later, one half of the inheritance. So I don't know what good a will is. Um, I guess you can break it and sue it, and it doesn't matter. Um, But an inheritance is a window, it's a window into people's souls, it's a window into what you would say in financial terms the wealth creator. It's a window into their soul because you get to see what they love or what they hate. Who they love and who they possibly don't love and want revenge on. And it's a window into the soul of those who receive the inheritance because you get to see what they love and what they hate and who they love and who they hate. And you see the gods of Greed, satanic gods of greed, materialism, envy, jealousy, just rule often in these moments. People loving possessions and houses and money more than life itself. Two brothers approached Jesus one day, and they were in a fight over the inheritance. And one of the brothers said to Jesus, You've got to be the arbiter here because we've got to fight about what's fair and what's not fair. And Jesus goes, bro, it actually says man, but the the English version would be, bro, who appointed me arbiter? (laughs) I ain't doing it. The son of man, God of the universe, did not want to get into the middle of that one. Um, People fight over inheritance. People actually can move through inheritance in great ways. But there is an inheritance that we're promised in the Word. There's an inheritance that we're going to look at today that Israel was promised for more than 600 years. And it finally comes to fruition, and we see it happen in chapter 13 of Joshua all the way up to chapter 19. They finally get the land. They've been waiting for this land a long time, and today is the day that we see it all play out. And so we're going to cover... A lot of chapters in one day. I think like seven chapters. And we're going to split this this message and these chapters into two different messages. And so I'm going to skip some obvious stories here uh, because I want to talk specifically about the inheritance today. And then we'll talk about some of the issues that we see play out as, as we go through these passages here. But to understand the inheritance today, you have to understand the genealogy. And so up on the screen is the genealogy, and this is how it all happens. Abraham or actually Abram starts off renamed Abraham and Sarah. They're the patriarchs of Israel. Come with a promise from God saying, I'm going to bless you, bless your family. You'll be a great nation. The whole world will be blessed through you. They have a son, Isaac. He marries Rebekah. They have two sons, famous sons, Jacob and Esau. The line goes through, the birthright goes through Jacob. Jacob has two wives, and two concubines. and There's a whole sordid affair about that, and this is a family service, so we won't talk about that. Parents, you can explain it later. Um, here's the four women that, that uh, Jacob uh, was part of his family. So he had in chronological order, so Leah, or Leah, however you want to say it, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, but then you skip over to Rachel's concubine here, and you have Dan, number five, Son number six is Naphtali. Then you go over to Zilpah, which is now Leah's concubine. And and now you have son number seven, Gad, Asher. And then now Leah has another two sons, Issachar, Zebulun. And then you go back to Rachel for son 11, Joseph, the famous one that was sold into slavery by the brothers and ended up saving everybody. And finally, Benjamin. Now, this is the family tree. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. The problem is when you go into Joshua and you start to, if you had a map out and you started to check off as you're reading through going, okay, this tribe gets that land. He checked that off. He checked that off. The problem is you end up with 12 territories and you have one tribe that doesn't get any land at all. The math doesn't work out. I started researching this and I got in the middle of this. I was so lost, it took me like an hour to figure out what was going on because the math wouldn't add up and, and, and that wasn't about common core math or anything like that. I'm not saying anything. did the lattice thing, whatever. Um, what happens here is you have to go back and look at Genesis 49 because Genesis 49 is where Jacob, the father of these 12 sons, who is actually renamed Israel, so Jacob slash Israel, as the father of Israel, right, um, it's really confusing, but Jacob gives his last will and testament, he gives the inheritance in Genesis chapter 49, and he brings all the boys in, and if you ought to read this sometime, it's, it's intense, I mean, some of these boys like needed counseling after this will was read, I mean, it's rough, what, what he says, I mean, son number one, Reuben, you're out. Son number two, Simeon, Yeah, you're out. Son number three, Levi, you're out. The birthright skips the first three boys. And there's a whole story about that. Family service, can't talk about it. You can read it later. It's in Genesis. We finally get to son number four, and it's Judah is the first son that finally, that Jacob feels is worthy of the birthright. So he gets the birthright, which means the line of kings and rulers goes through Judah. King David, line of Judah. Christ, Judah huge, that's awesome, great. And then you skip through and you see he goes through some sons and he's like, ah, that blessing's not so great as you read it. And you're like, wow, that hurt. Um, And you get to Joseph and all of a sudden Joseph just jumps on the page. He gets like four or five verses and Jacob spends all this time blessing, 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 blessing. But it doesn't explain the territory and the math. And you have to go back to Genesis 4 48, right before this moment, there's a secret meeting. Joseph comes in with his boys. He doesn't know this is going to happen. Jacob says, hey, I want you to come in. And he says, I want your two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, here because I want to give them a share of the inheritance as if they were my sons and not my grandsons. Secret meeting. Intrigue. Inheritance. And so what happens is you have to see that and understand Genesis 48 and 49 in order to understand Joshua chapter 13 through 19. It's the only way the math works. So actually, even though 11 tribes get land, Joseph's family, son number 11, gets two territories total of 12 territories, plus Levi, who doesn't get a territory, and we'll talk about that. And that's how you get the inheritance and where it plays out. Now, as you read through Genesis 48 and 49, especially 49, it's this blessing and the not blessing of this inheritance. I don't I don't know if you would say it's a curse. I mean, some of it is, or the withholding of it. I don't understand this, but God seems to honor what Jacob slash Israel does here. Because we see it play out in the inheritance of the land. Levi and Simeon's inheritance, if you look in Genesis 49, was to be divided and scattered. Israel blesses Joseph far beyond any other son. You look at the map and you can see the blessing and the inheritance. And, and there's something about this. You, you go through, you, I don't understand it all. Some of it doesn't seem fair. Some of it doesn't feel right. But that's how it is. And so in Genesis 13, starts off in verse, verses 1 through 7 there, and it talks about the land that hasn't been conquered yet, that still has to be conquered. In verse 8, you have the verse that says, with the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they received their inheritance which Moses had gave them, circle this or underline this, beyond the Jordan eastward. So what's going to happen here in verse 8 is it says, hey, look, we're going to talk about now the inheritance of the land that's east of the Jordan River. So you see Manasseh, the Gad, and then Reuben. That's what we're going to talk about right now, two and a half tribes in chapter 13. And then it says in verse 14 about the tribe of Levi, which we'll talk about in in another sermon here about why they didn't get the land or anything like that. So verse 15, uh, verses 8 through 14 is really about, okay, the summation of all this territory. Then verse 15 starts with, now Reuben. Let's talk about specifically the landmarks in the city that Reuben, the clan, the tribe of Reuben gets. And so rather than reading all the landmarks, which we we don't have to do, you've got it right up here. And to be honest, none of those landmarks make any sense to us anyway. I mean, it's, it's all these places like, you know, you go down to the right and you hit that little rock over there and then you hit up over there and, and you go to that pond that used to be there and then beyond there. I mean, that's what it's like, right? So the picture shows it for a thousand words, even speaking southern. Um, verse, 20, verse 15 is Reuben. Verse 24 is Gad. And you see that. And then verse 29 is the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so they get all of their land, and that's kind of how it ends up. Verse, or chapter 14, then they go on, and we see now that um, starts off with this. is interesting. These are the inheritance that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan. Verse 8 of 13 was beyond the Jordan. Now we're in the land of Canaan which Eliezer the priest and Joshua son of Nun and the heads of the fathers, houses of the tribes of the people of Israel, gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan But to the Levites, he gave no inheritance among them. There's there's a question here. There's a problem here. Why does two and a half tribes get their land through Moses and nine and a half tribes have to wait? Like, what's going on there? Like, nine and a half have to do the whole lot thing. Like, we get to draw the straws and God determines who gets what. But apparently, these two and a half don't. And there's all kinds of red flags here. Like, what's going on? And to understand that, you actually have to go backwards about seven years. And what happens is is there's this story in Numbers 32 when Israel's coming up out of the wilderness. They're about ready to take the land. Moses is still alive. And they come up, and now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. Now, they had just conquered, if you put the map back up on the screen, They had just conquered all this territory that was east of the Jordan River. And so they saw all this land. They said, well, this would be really good for us. And so they went right to the front of the line, cut in front of everybody, and they said, hey, Moses, we really like this property. What do you think? Now, here's a weird thing, and I don't understand this, because the Bible doesn't say it's good or it's bad. God just does it and he honors it, and he gives them the land. The only condition, Moses said, is you better not stay there when we've got to go fight in the land. You're coming with us, and if you guys don't fight, you're going to be cursed. And so these two and a half tribes said, deal, we're in. And they honored their deal all the way through this. But what do the other nine and a half tribes think? Like, what do you mean you just get the cut in front you get to choose your land. Was it fair? I don't know. There's a lot about this whole story of this inheritance. Even though it's in the people of God, you look at what happened with Jacob and, the, and his sons and the way that all went down. You look at this and you think, man, there's stuff about this that just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right people jumping ahead as we think about our inheritance in Christ the bible has a lot to say about that jesus has a lot to say about it as christians we inherit inherit something actually quite a bit because of christ and i think there's some things that we need to know about this inheritance and the first thing we need to know is that our heavenly father is fair Listening, what is that? said the Lord. He's not like a human father. He's not like Jacob. There's no favorites. There's no last-minute changes. He always does what's right. He never wrongs a person. He won't allow the process to be hijacked. He actually makes it very clear. Look, this is is how you get the inheritance and this is how you don't get the inheritance. And, and, And he's very upfront about those who won't get the inheritance. It's not like he's trying to make it difficult. And he says in Ephesians 5, for this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man or woman, is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This inheritance, what What God is saying is, I promise you it will be drama free at least on my end and it will be fair and as we look at this world around us and we see what goes down there is something (sighs) knowing that God will be fair there's also something terrifying about it as well it cuts both ways for us personally chapter 14 continues caleb people of judah must have apparently drawn drawn the first straw so they come to joshua in verse 8 caleb the son of jephunel kenazai said to him you know what the lord said to moses the man of god in Kadesh barnea concerning you and me meaning caleb now comes they're both old guys and he's saying hey you know what god said to us back in the day Because these were the two guys, Joshua, who's now leading Israel, and Caleb, they were two spies, went out together and came back. and, And they said, hey, we can take this. With God, we can take this. And he said, so I brought word, uh, him word again and again, it was in my heart, but my brothers who went up, the other ten spies who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt, yet ho- I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, and Joshua, you knew that, you were there, saying, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is... As my strength was then for war and for going and coming, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall dry them out, just as the Lord said. And so he gives him the land. Now this is different because Joshua's not jumping to the front of the line. Joshua is reminding or Caleb's not jumped in the front of the line, rather. He's reminding Joshua, God promised me this. I am simply calling God out on his promise. I walked that land, that land's mine. I love it. I love the assurance that Joshua has. I love the 45 years of this faith that said, one day that land I walked where all those giants were, that's going to be mine. I love the idea that he probably told his family and his kids about this and there's this one day we're going to that property and that's going to be ours. There's There's this gritty belief, a gritty faith that survived 45 years and how many hundreds of thousands of people dying and yet he never wavered. And I wonder what As we think of the inheritance of Christ, I I don't even know, do you think of it? Is it even on your radar? How much do we think about what we are going to inherit? And even more than that, what chips away at our belief in it? Our faith in it? This guy's 85 years old. And his faith is just as strong as the day that promise was given. Your faith is strong as the day you understood the inheritance. (laughs) Chapter 15 goes on. It's dedicated entirely to the territories that Judah receives. Up on the map, you see that there at the bottom left. Uh, When the map comes up, you'll see it. and there's a cool story about Caleb in there, but we'll wait till next week to hit that. Chapter 16 goes on, and now we see this, the mystery here. The allotment of the people of Joseph, and it says the whole entirety of it. And then verse 4 says, the people of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, received their inheritance. So this is where all the math, I got lost in the math of how did they get to, and, and you see this playing out. And what's interesting is never once in all the centuries did any of the 11 other tribes sue For fairness. Well, think about it, right? How come he gets two? That's not fair. That's not right. Back when Jacob, Israel, did the inheritance, he invoked the name of the Lord. He invoked it on his blessing to Joseph and on his two grandkids when he did it. He brought God's name into it. And they took it seriously as a nation. God had given his word. We're not going to fight that. I love that. I love that. I don't know the grasp. I don't know what you, what, what you call it, that, that understanding. When God has spoken, he's spoken. It's the way it is. I love that when we think about the inheritance. Nobody even tried to change it. Nobody tried to alter it. God had spoken. And there's an assurance that comes even as you look at that, there's an assurance. The Lord spoke it. He said, you're going to have an inheritance. There's no doubt. Next tribe on the, in the chapters here as we go along is chapter 17, the people of Manasseh. So this is now the other half of the tribe. And... and there's this one guy in particular, McCur, I think is how you pronounce his name, and he was a man of war, known for being fighters, and so there's something about the military strategy of where they put this guy within the, the territories itself, it's, it's, I'm not entirely sure why. What's interesting is that in verse 3, there's a, another little tiny story that happens, and, and it's this uh, guy named Z, <laughs> And who's the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Makur, son of Manasseh? He had no sons, he only had daughters. And, and they said, Hey, look, do we get territories or not? And, and what happens here is actually you have to go back again earlier and, and you have to read through the story here because in Numbers 27, these five women. Grown women, daughters of Z, come to Moses and they go, "This is not fair. We're not going to get our territory just because our dad died in the wilderness and he had no sons. That's so not fair, isn't it? Not fair." Moses and Moses is like, "That's a great question, of which I do not have the answer to." So he says, "Let me ask God," and it says that he went to inquire the Lord. He says, "God, they came with a good question. Is it fair?" that they would not be able to have the inheritance and lose it because their dad died and they have no brothers? And God said, that's a great question. (laughs) And he said, it's not fair. These five daughters deserve their land. They deserve the inheritance. Give it to them. In fact, make a law that if there are no sons, it goes to the daughters. Let's clear that one up right now, which I love that. God hears these daughters and they come forward. And he gives them their inheritance, they're just due. And I love this because God goes against the rules. And he goes against the culture of the day that says, this is how you should do an inheritance. And this is who really should get it. And this is who really shouldn't get it. And he says, it doesn't matter male or female. It doesn't even, He goes down this list. And in fact, when you look at the inheritance <laughs> in Christ, blood relative doesn't matter in the inheritance. Genealogy doesn't matter. Male and female doesn't matter. What country you're born in, whatever label someone may put on you, good labels like, oh, they're good, they're a good person, doesn't matter. Labels that people put on you, oh, they're a bad person. It doesn't matter. The rule of the inheritance in Christ, and there is one, there's only one rule about this inheritance it is by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the only rule, this inheritance. If you want to get in on this thing and you want to stay in on this thing, it is only by grace, not because your family has gone to church for three generations. Paul even says it doesn't even matter for the Jewish person. And he was Jewish. You read Romans 9. Each and every person is adopted into the family of God by grace. It's the only way you get there. The only way you get into the inheritance is to say, I need salvation, I need forgiveness. And Christ says, you're in which I want to just speak into something. And, uh, and this is not political, this is spiritual, because I think it can go, if we don't have our gate down and we're not thinking through this, this thing could have just come right by us. Donald Trump has said that he is a Christian. Two weeks ago, I don't know if you caught this in the news, or three weeks ago, he stood up in front of a camera and he said, I have never asked God for forgiveness. I don't know if you've heard that. By definition, then, Donald Trump is not a Christian. A Christian is someone who confesses their sin and says that they are sinful and a sinner and in need of salvation. And Christ's righteousness cleanses them. That is the fundamental basis of our inheritance of what it means to be a Christ follower. And anyone who would say that they have never asked forgiveness from God, by definition, is therefore not a Christ follower. There's only one rule. (gasps) I need salvation. It's a beautiful thing because it levels the playing field for everyone. It's the law of the new covenant. It is the basis for the inheritance. And is what Christ is going to look at first and foremost. And the Father, as judge, did you claim the blood of the cross and your need for salvation? And if you have, you have the inheritance, full privileges, all of it. Chapter 18 goes on and now we see the allotment of the rest of the land and what they do is they move the cultural religious center to Shiloh and it stays there for several hundred years, 250 years, something like that, where the tabernacle is now there, the Ark of the Covenant is now there, so it becomes the political and religious center of Israel and Shiloh, if you saw the map, is actually in the center, protected on all sides, like you're going to have to go through a lot of army to get to now the tabernacle. It's a movement to secure the land, and, and there it becomes, and there it's protected until the time of David where it gets moved to Jerusalem. And so then we have seven tribes. They hadn't got their inheritance, and so Moses, or Moses uh, Joshua says, hey, I want you guys to go out, three from each tribe, 21 guys. You all figure out the land, get the lay of the land, divide it up, and then we'll draw lots at the back end of this thing, which is a brilliant move. Any of you ever done this with kids when they're fighting over food? Fighting over anything like that you right you just you put it to them, okay, one of you divide it out and then the other one gets to pick. I am telling you I, there is laboratories that cannot match the precision of kids. They're like, whoo, whoo. it takes five minutes to make sure the levels are because the one pouring it doesn't want to get right the, the, the less the you know the least it's hilarious to watch kids doing that. It's a brilliant move. So he does that. They come back, they draw straws, and and then what you see is chapter 18, Benjamin gets a territory, and you see this up on the map. It's the light blue right above Judah. And then chapter 19 goes into Simeon's inheritance, which Simeon is now down here. You can barely see it a different shade. It's in Judah. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 49. He says to Simeon and Levi, you guys will have no share like your own territory. You're just going to be part of something else or whatever. And so you see that inheritance right here because it says right here, Simeon in chapter 19, according to their clans, their inheritance was in the midst of the people of Judah. They kind of made some room for them. I don't understand that, but that's just the way it is. And it says it again. Simeon attained an inheritance in the midst of Judah's inheritance in verse 9. Verse 10, inheritance for Zebulun. Verse 17, inheritance for Issachar. Uh, Verse 24 uh, 24 for Asher, and then 32 for Naphtali. Verse 40, the inheritance of Dan. And then we finally end up with an inheritance of Joshua. They take care of the leader. And that's the inheritance And what strikes me more than anything is you wait. I wonder, they waited that long. They get the land. They finally have a place called home. But the problem of every inheritance on this planet is that it's just never enough. Like, I wonder if they thought they'd arrived when they finally would get to the land, like, all their problems would be solved. They finally got this inheritance they waited 600 years for. And all it did was point out that they they really, truly weren't home. Just like every person isn't home. We'll never truly be home until we're with Christ. Even this inheritance, as great as it was, only points to the shadow of heaven and the real heaven of a place where you're finally at rest and there's nothing else to do and there's nothing undone and when we come to Christ we get this promise and the bible says this god says in ephesians 1 he says having believed you're marked in Christ with the seal The promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And the Holy Spirit in us says, I guarantee it. I guarantee heaven is there. That inheritance is coming. It is worth it. It is worth it. This this inheritance where it doesn't spoil, it doesn't fade, it doesn't get corrupted, it can't be stolen. This inheritance that says you have a perfect body, this inheritance that is kept by Christ Himself, guaranteed by Christ. And and, and what the Holy Spirit comes along, he says, It's there, it's there, it's worth it, it's worth living for. It's worth not living for this world in order to live for that. It's real. You ever have some of the best moments in this life? Stack them up. Do you ever have those moments where you go, "How can heaven be greater than this? How can it be better? I can't imagine it's better." And and the Holy Spirit saying, "It's it's better." I mean, you just you don't have any clue how much better it is. It's better. It's better. Don't trade it away. Don't traded away to jump in line someplace else for something that you think might be a better inheritance because it's not. It's worth it. The inheritance worth it. It's a place where we have eternal life. Our bodies work right. Our emotions work right. There's no chemical imbalances. Our bodies breaking down. No wounds from the past. No sp- baggage to get rid of. It's just the Holy Spirit saying it's real, it's real. Paul writes this and he says, I pray, this is my prayer, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We're just going to finish this service with a song. wonder what it looks like for us just to move through life, even in these days ahead, and say, God, would you show us this rich, the riches of the inheritance? Would it change the way I live, change the way I view what has value?